Welcome to the Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast, where today we will be listening to this week's sermon by Pastor Brent Russell. Well, um, I just wanted to uh, encourage you, if you're still thinking about baptism, uh, the number has gone from five to eight. So apparently there are about eight people now who are getting baptized, and I would encourage you to consider that. That was uh, something I did as a, a young man. I had come to faith in Christ, told my mother, and she said, oh, you're already a Christian. Uh, and I had been baptized, and I had been confirmed in the church, but it meant absolutely nothing to me. So when I became a believer as an adult, I decided I wanted to get baptized so that I could declare along with everyone else that day that I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, um, you may recall Mother's Day a couple of weeks ago. And uh, <clears throat> Sharon and I came that Sunday in two different vehicles. Sharon had to pick Jem up. And, uh, and I came because I was on worship. So we came in two different vehicles. So when we were leaving the parking lot, uh, I was leaving first, and I was, I was heading towards town, and Sharon commented to, to Gemma, I wonder why Jeff is going into town when we live that way. And Gemma said, intuitively, well, he's going to get you a Mother's Day present. <laughs> so Sharon said, no, no chance of that. Uh, considering our history, Sharon had every right to be skeptical, and she said, I'll, s I'll believe it when I see it. So, well, this morning, I want to address some rumors that have been circulating around some solemn allegations that have been attributed to me. I take them seriously, and they are grievous to me because some of you have known me for many years. And for you to participate in them is grievous to me. You know my character, and yet some brothers and sisters here have said, that I don't believe, that I no longer have faith. I'm confused and I feel a bit betrayed. Sometimes I feel like I'm on the outside looking in. I've been called a skeptic. I've been called a non-believer. And worst of all, maybe, I've been called a doubter. But how could I not doubt? I saw my Savior nailed to a cross. And I saw his lifeless body taken down from that cross. And then Peter and Nathaniel and James came and told me, we've seen the Lord. And I said, that's not possible. They said, he showed us the wounds in his hands and his side. And I said, that's impossible. He's dead. And unless 
I see the wounds in his hands and put my fingers in them, unless I place my hand in this, the wound in his side, I will not believe. Thomas said, I will not believe unless I see. So this morning we're looking at some of the events and encounters with Jesus in those extraordinary days after Jesus was resurrected from the grave. And we read from the Gospel of John this morning, you may remember that John was an old man by the time he wrote his account about the time he spent with Jesus. And he chose to include four resurrection appearances in his account. There are in the four Gospels about a dozen accounts of people meeting Christ after he was resurrected from the grave. John's family name was Zebedee, and he, he had left his father's house and his father's fishing nets because he said in his gospel, because of what he had seen and heard. I've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John had seen Jesus, had touched Jesus, had been with Jesus, and he believed that. And he says, and he's given us four accounts, but there could have been more. We read in John 20 that Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. So John records four examples, four or encounters with Jesus, but there may have been many more. Well, um, on the day, the third day after Christ was crucified. In Hebrew, it's Rishon, which means first. So on the first day of the week, early in the morning, it was still dark, Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene, went to the tomb, and she found the stone had been rolled away and that Christ was not in the tomb. Well, she went running back, and she told the disciples, They've taken the Lord, and I don't know where they've put him. So Peter, and it says the other disciple, that would have been John, go rushing to the tomb, and they find it just as Mary has said. He's not there. And so they return, bewildered, have questions. But Mary finds herself back at the tomb, and she's there, and she's crying She's in the garden, and she's crying. She's grieving. And she hears someone behind her. He says, what's, what's wrong? Why are you crying? And she turns around, and she sees who, someone she thinks is the gardener. And she says to the gardener, if you've taken the Lord, tell me where you've put him. I want you to think for a moment about the confusion on, on Mary's face in that moment. She thinks, you, you've, you've told a good story to people. You know, you've told somebody a story and you say, and then that person arrived and you were so... Well, Mary saw someone who she thought was the gardener. It was Christ. He was slightly changed. 
She didn't recognize him. And then she hears this voice. Didn't Jesus say, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me? She hears this voice. The voice says, Mary. Very personal, very intimate. Mary. And she turns around and she says, Rabboni, teacher. And she embraces him. And he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. And she's clinging to him. And he says, don't hold on to me. Okay? I'm, I still have to ascend to the Father. Um, but go. Go back and tell the disciples that I've risen and tell them what I've told you. So it says that Mary went back. And uh, she, with the news, I have seen the Lord, she said. And she told them everything that he had said to her. So Mary said to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And she repeated to them the things that he had said to her. Okay? So I want you just to hold on to that because we're not told what the disciples said to her. But that happened early in the morning. Still dark. Then around midday, there were a couple of fellows who were walking on the road to Emmaus. And as they walked along, someone joined them and started walking with them. And he asked them an amazing question. He said, what are you guys talking about while you are walking along the road here? Now, Sharon and I were talking about this. That's a great question. People, sometimes, people need to ask good questions, right? And when you ask a good question, you usually get a pretty phenomenal answer. And one of the things I love to do is I love to ask people why, why they got that particular tattoo. And it's amazing what people will tell you, the story behind that tattoo. Anyway, these people tell Jesus, he said, what are you talking about? And they said, are you the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know? Know what, says Jesus. Well, that Jesus, this person, this, this man, that he was a prophet, he was great. And we had, set, we had um, hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. He was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And they describe their, with passion their what he did and their loss. And then Jesus listens, hears them out, and then when they've been, they've, they're finished talking and Jesus retells them the, the same story in a different way. It says in, in uh, Luke chapter 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Can you imagine what that must have been like? In his retelling, Jesus in this huge sweep of history, hundreds of years, he tells them there's how, what God's mission in the world was and how Jesus is embedded in all of their traditions and stories and history and scripture. It's this vast arc of hundreds of years of divine redemption and God intera interacting with men and women for his mission, the mission 
to bring himself to the people. And Jesus tells them that, that amazing story, and it says their hearts burned within them. And then PowerPoint number four, yeah. Uh, and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has a, appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had made known to them in the breaking of the bread. So they rush back to Jerusalem and report to the disciples, we didn't recognize him. He, he, he talked to us, and, th and then when he broke the bread, all of a sudden, we recognized him. What was the disciples' response? Well, I want you to hang on to that. We're going to look at that in a moment. It says, then that evening, so the evening of the day in which Jesus was resurrected, he appeared to his disciples who were behind locked doors. And that was the passage Jack read to you this morning. But I just want to underline verse 20 of that passage. It says, as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. And they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And then the disciples go and tell Thomas what has happened. And the disciples must have told Thomas, he showed us his wounds. Because Thomas says, well, I won't believe unless I see the wounds in his hands, put my fingers in them, and put my hand in the wound on his side. That's what Thomas says. So there aren't many times Thomas is mentioned in the Gospels. He's mentioned in that grocery list, you know, Peter, James, John, Nathaniel. It's kind of like eggs, milk, butter, bacon. And, and uh, he's always in that list. And then once we meet Th uh, Thomas after Lazarus has died, after Lazarus died, Jesus planned to return to Judea. And John 14 says that um, Thomas replied, Let us go that we may die with him. That's PowerPoint number six. When Jesus told his disciples that they would join him in glory, Thomas questioned him. Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? It's an honest question. And uh, he didn't know where they were going. So he asked the question, we don't know where you're going, right? And because of that question, the famous declaration by Jesus, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. So if Thomas hadn't asked that question, maybe that wouldn't be recorded. Unless I see for myself, I will not believe. Thomas's questions have permeated the culture, haven't they? I mean, everybody knows doubting Thomas. It's part of our vernacular now. Even in Haiti, when Sharon and I were there, if someone told you something and you doubted what they said, they would say, oh, son doute, oui. 
right? You're a doubter. Son Tomawia. You're a Thomas, right? It has permeated our culture, this idea that Thomas is someone who did not believe. And, um, but was Thomas the only one who had questions? Was Thomas the only one who had difficulty understanding what was happening? I want to take you back to Mary Magdalene, uh, and this is PowerPoint number seven, and what happened when she returned from, um, from finding Christ in the garden. It says in Mark chapter 16, verse 9, after Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, uh, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman from whom he had cast out seven demons. And she went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping and told them what had happened. But when she told them that Jesus was alive and she had seen them, they didn't believe her. Okay? Reading from Mark 16, okay, verse 9, they didn't believe her. And then the two fellows who were on the road to Emmaus, well, Mark uh, uh, comments on that as well. It says, afterward he appeared in a different form to two of his followers who were walking from Jerusalem to the country. They rushed back to tell the others, but no one believed them. So it turns out Thomas looks just like any of the dis other disciples, really. No more of a doubter and no less of a doubter. And I think the reason for that is that all the disciples knew that Jesus was dead. They knew that the Romans knew how to kill people. And the Romans would not have taken someone down off that cross unless that person was dead. So it's easy to understand why Thomas and the other disciples had so much difficulty understanding and believing that. And I appreciate that John, the author of the epistle, included Thomas's encounter with Jesus because if John had been fabricating a story, he would not have included a doubter. But it's important that he did. Jesus knew that doubt would be a major obstacle for the disciples. How could it not be? John recorded, uh, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Jesus had told them what would happen, but no one really got it. What they understood was that the one who had failed to liberate them from the Romans, which is what they were hoping for, had died on a cross, their hopes were dashed, and they said we had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. But our hopes were gone. So it makes sense that they all would have doubts about Jesus being alive. Now, doubt is not a sin and doubt is not unbelief. Don't you appreciate people like Tom back there who ask good questions? Doubt is a matter of the mind when we can't understand what or how or why 
God is doing something. Don't we all have questions? Are my prayers, which I've brought before the Lord day after day after day, going to be answered? Does God have a plan for my life? Our doubts coexist with faith as they did with many people in the scriptures. Consider Moses, for example. Moses was at the burning bush and, G and God came and spoke to him and said, I've heard the cries of my people. Okay. They need mercy. I'm sending you to take them out of Egypt. And what was Moses' response? Me? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said. He doubted God's call on his life that he could do that. And David cried out in Psalm 13, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long must will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Wrestling, sorrow in his heart, lost battles, no immediate relief, and David cries out, Lord, are you there? Are you going to come through for me? And maybe the most unexpected doubter who faced a crisis at the end of his life was John the Baptist. He was in jail. Things were not turning out for John the Baptist the way he had anticipated. And he asked the question, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? I think we're most susceptible to doubt when the world weighs heavy on us. John the Baptist's doubts assailed him in a dark place. However, even in his doubt, Jesus described John the Baptist as the greatest man born of women. Okay. And there's a little clue in that phrase that helps us understand that it's normal to doubt. What's the clue? Well, the clue is that we're born of women. In other words, we're human. And it is human and normal to doubt. We are rational and experiential beings. Our entire lives revolve around what we can comprehend with our senses. And Jesus knew that, and he said in John chapter 4 in the encounter with the royal official's son who was sick, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And Jesus knew that people were doubters and that they needed to see miracles to accept what he was offering. But friends, by an act of faith and the gift of grace, we accepted Jesus Christ into our lives. The author of the universe lives within us. And in our limited minds, our finite minds, we've received something that is unlimited and eternal. We were embraced by God's infinite embrace. And we're human, and it makes sense that we don't completely understand what has happened. 
We are loved and not condemned when we have doubts. And Jesus understood this was a natural human condition. And so he did not condemn Thomas, but pointed him to the truth. It says in John chapter 20 that after eight days, Jesus appeared to his disciples and showed his wounds to Thomas. I'm not going to read that whole passage, but Jesus appears and says to Thomas, put your finger here, look at my hands, put your hand in the wound in my side, don't be faithless any longer, believe. Well, you could say Thomas had to find out for himself. Okay? He didn't share someone else's belief. He was a thinker, and he asked questions, and he had to decide for himself. Thomas had told the other disciples, I will not believe unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers in them and place my hand in the wound in his side. And so when Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands and put your hand in the wound in my side, he was quoting Thomas's words back to him. Thomas must have been in awe. In other words, Thomas, I was there when you doubted me. When you thought I didn't hear you, I heard you. When you thought I didn't care, I was present. And in awe, Thomas falls on his knees. And in a beautiful twist of events, it turns out that we who have erroneously called a doubter is the first person who explicitly acknowledges the divinity of Christ. My Lord and my God, he cried out. He was never a doubting Thomas. He was a man who needed to find out for himself. And that's a good thing. But there is something else I want to draw your attention to. Um, because Jesus appears to Thomas in a body that is conspicuously wounded. Jesus didn't resurrect from the grave in a sanitized version of himself. He asks Thomas to put his hand into the wound, to probe that wound in his side. The wounds are so conspicuous and so prominent that Thomas places his fingers in them. What is Jesus saying? What is Jesus is saying not only that I am with you, but I am with you where it hurts. I am with you where the pain is. Isaiah had prophesied that Jesus would be wounded for our transgressions or pierced for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. Well, Jesus' wounds tell us that he chose to suffer for us because of his love. 
for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever puts their faith in him will have eternal life. Jesus' wounds tell us that some wounds remain even after resurrection. Sharon and I were on an airplane and there was a stewardess who had a tattoo on her arm and I didn't get a chance to ask her about it. But it was the full length of her arm and it said, forgive, but don't forget. You can see and feel what's embedded in that tattoo. Something traumatic has happened. She's got to move on but she's not going to forget it. Some wounds last a lifetime even after resurrection, and that's okay. It's okay to celebrate Jesus rising and grieve our tragic, sometimes tragic losses at the same time. Well, Thomas would have seen those wounds again. He was with the disciples on the beach by the Sea of Galilee when Jesus had a men's breakfast. Jesus was cooked breakfast for some guys, and we're going to look at that next Sunday. But as we leave today, I want you to remember Thomas's confession. Because at the time that John's gospel was written, the emperor Domitian was the ruler of the land, and he required everyone to bow down and say my Lord and my God. Early Christians would have faced a crisis, persecution, and they would have said back, no, Jesus is Lord and Jesus is God. Thanks for joining us this week on Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast. Make sure to visit our website at asburyfmperth.com where you can subscribe and never miss a show. If you'd like this broadcast, you might want to check out our Facebook page, Asbury Free Methodist Church. Until next week, take care and God bless.